You are now listening to The Jason D'Amico Show. Greetings, folks. Welcome back to The Jason D'Amico Show. And uh, really excited to have this guest with us. It's it's definitely been a few months or more <laughs> of wrangling to try and get this uh, extremely inspirational, influential um, guest on the show. She is a very busy person and uh, highly in demand, as you may know by looking at the title of this episode, for those of you who know her. Our guest is a decorated and accomplished radio personality, voiceover artist, and producer with decades of experience on the air. Currently, she hosts weekdays from 10 to 2 on NC's famous variety station, 96.1 BBB. Noted as the champagne voice of North Carolina, she also volunteers for many nonprofits, including Interact and Triangle Family Services. She's also an avid seeker of everything culinary and local. Please welcome to the show, North Carolina radio broadcasting legend, Miss Kitty Cannon. Wow, that was nice. Hey, Jason. Good to see you. Yeah, I'm glad I finally made it here. The last time I walked in and I had a ball cap and I was so raggedy and I felt really bad. But I said, you mean this is going to be videotaped? So we had to, you know, I've just, I have been busy, but I'm really happy we made it here. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. And and, and kind of like what we said, you know, it's it's a really relaxed environment. Everything happens for a reason. So this is this is the day that we're supposed to be doing this. Yeah, and as I mentioned to you, it's very odd to be on this side of yeah. the interview desk, but, you know, it's you, so well, I'm, here for, I'm here for you. Hopefully, it's feeling homey and comfortable. You know, we have a lot of guests on the show, and they they say sometimes it's therapeutic, so hopefully we'll be able to deliver that <laughs> therapy for you today in some way. You know, I get enough therapy. Let's go, <laughs> Let's go another route. <laughs> so... Uh, Let's start with your beginning stages. I'd love to hear kind of, I read online that you're from Florida originally. Miami. Miami. Mm-hmm. And uh, walk me through kind of how you started. Um, was it, was there somebody who influenced you early on with radio? How did that spark happen? Because it seems like it was fairly natural. It was a total accident. I grew up in Miami and I had nothing to do with radio there except listen to it all the time. WQAM, all of the stations. I was just drawn to music since I was a little kid. So I was glued to radio, any kind of music. I think maybe Little Richard was the first one that just drove me crazy. I said, what? This is amazing. So yeah. I was just a music hound from the time I was little. And then... I moved to Gainesville, Florida, and yeah, I went to Santa Fe Junior College first because I didn't want to live in a dorm, and uh, I was kind of a wild child. I leaned on the hippie side, and I didn't last long there, although when I was in college, I worked part-time for a radio station, which was KZL. And it was in the basement of WAAA, which was the first black station in Winston-Salem. Wow. Okay. So, oh, that was, sorry about that. I um, worked in Gainesville answering phones for a top 40 station for Bob Brown, who then bought the stations in Winston-Salem. Okay. Okay. And that's where I first got my start. But when I was in school, he mentored me and we just got along. He was like a father figure to me. And uh, he was the most brilliant man. 
And so he just trained me to do a lot of different things for him. And then I decided I wanted to go find myself. (laughs) So I moved to Boulder, Colorado, and then into Cold Creek Canyon, into the mountains. Wow. I met my mountain man and I just lived a hippie life. We, I was in a one room cabin, cold burning (laughs) stove, little outhouse with a fur lined potty and stained glass window. (laughs) And, uh, it was, it was a beautiful time. We were in the Valley and, and golden Colorado. And then I realized that, you know, I, I needed some money. We both needed some money. So I kind of hitchhiked back and forth from Boulder to the mountains and, then reality set in and we sort of drifted apart, my mountain man, Bob. And so I moved to Boulder and got a real job actually as a legal assistant, mm. which was so far beyond anything I would normally do. So uh, at that time, my old boss, Bob Brown, that I answered phones for. <laughs> Not mountain man, Bob. No, no, no. Sorry. I did. That's confusing. Different no, Bob, Bob. Brown was my mentor. He owned the radio stations and he, um, he called me and said, Kitty, I'm buying some stations in North Carolina. And I wondered if you'd like to come work for me as my assistant. And I'm like, Oh, I I don't think so, Bob. I really Mm -hmm. don't want to do that. Cause I wasn't really a business person. That's, but I liked being around the radio scene but that's all I had really done was work with him in various departments. So I said, no, I don't think so. He called me back and he said, come on. He called me Catherine. Come on, Catherine. I know you need to work and you need something new and this will be perfect for you. I, I said, I don't know about North Carolina. So he flew me there and I said, oh my gosh, no, I can't understand a single thing people are saying. <laughs> So I flew back to Boulder and then thought, "Mm, maybe I'll try it. So I ended up in Winston-Salem. I worked with him for a while in various capacities. And he had a station then, KZL, which I mentioned before, Mm -hmm. Jump the Gun. It was in the basement of WAAA. And it was album rock, the same time QDR was still doing its album rock. Okay. KZL was rocking in the basement. So QDR was rock before country then? QDR was rock, and they switched over okay. to country. Okay. Yeah. Is that, are they still 94.7 FM? QDR. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They've been around for a long time. So they're the big country yeah. station. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to get it all straight, but yeah, I ended up working for him. They are doing various things. And he, um, the Midnight to Six guy had quit and he had a number of different stations around the country and he was out of town. And I said, look, can I just go in and fill in? Because the Midnight to Six guy quit. You know, I'd never done anything like that, but I was drawn to music. So I went in and he said, just take the engineering with you. Of course, I had no clue what I was doing. (laughs) And so I just did what I do best. I started talking, even though I actually had a phone call, which was sort of private that first night on the air with a friend of mine, which thankfully the music was loud and people didn't hear it too much. But I had, um, oh man, yeah, that could have been. Yes, and that could have been disastrous. Wow. I won't say what I was talking about, but <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I it was just meant to be. I 
I knew it in my blood. This is where I should be. So when he got back in town, they showed me how to run the board, and that was that. Wow. Yeah. So I ended up doing nights on KZL, and that was deep rock. I was a heavy rocker then, and it was wild, wild times. I smoked three packs a day, camel, (sighs) no filter. And at that time, we could smoke in the studio, and it was in the basement, so... You know, right. Yeah. So anyway, it was crazy and it was wonderful and nights were totally different from anything else I did from there. Um, the wild people come out right. at night and right. lots of phone calls and lots of stories that happened. And the music was just phenomenal at the time because we played everything. You know, we played album rock, real rock. Yeah. And yeah. at the same time, I was very interested in jazz, and so I asked him if I could do a jazz show, and we were using Reel to Reel at the time, but I would produce a show called Touch of Jazz, and I would interview jazz artists, and he would fly me to various jazz concerts all over the country, and I would interview the artists. Get it on and tape, then, and then bring it, bring yeah, it back and, and play it. and then I played on Sundays. And, so cool. Yeah. So I did that for quite a while, and then I got married and got pregnant. Had a baby. So I, um, I, you know, ended up being a mom for a little while. And then I was just antsy and moved to Raleigh after my friend DJ called me, DJ Mitch. She was a sales manager over there at RDU. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she said, Kitty, why don't you come here and do your jazz show? Not touch a jazz. We decided that I should do like a Sunday jazz brunch. And, and I was in a position to do that because my husband was a chef and he lost his job. And so he followed me to Raleigh. And, and I started doing Sundays um, on RDU. And then Fast became a midday personality there and did both. And it's interesting because with rock, you think, really? They're going to listen to jazz on a heavy album rock station? But yeah, people loved it because they were very eclectic back then. You know, we loved everything. And so on Sundays, it was a vibe. You know, it was more just the stories and talking about local things and then playing some you know, Eddie Harris or Nina Simone and Torch Singers, a little bit of everything. And it just, it flew. It was great. I still miss doing that so much. I continued doing that brunch. But yeah, RDU was the creme de la creme. That was was a time when we could break out, be progressive, really get deep into the stories and the artists and take calls and interact and and it was such a loyal audience, unlike right. now. You know, when QDR was rock, it was huge, just like it was at KZL. But after QDR changed and went country, then came RDU. And um, the first song that was ever played was Start Me Up. And I that was 85 and, no, 84. And I ended up coming the year after. 85. Lucas was six months. My baby was six months old. And I'd take him in with me on the air. I'd have to because my husband was not necessarily reliable. So I uh, took Lucas in on the air with me. He'd be sitting on my lap and, you know, I'd be playing the tunes. I'd put him in the newsroom 
and turn on some cartoons. And he became very adept himself at everything that had to do with music. So, yeah, he had a lot of influence. We had a lot of people that came in and played live. And it was very freeform. It was, it was just the perfect time to be in radio. Then. Yeah. 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 There was, was nothing like it. We had the perfect, uh, the most amazing on-air team. Reynolds and Silva were the morning show, the best morning show, I think, ever, honestly. We had Bob DeBlade, it, Tom Gaia was there, Brian McFadden, who's still working today in the biz. And uh, we had a fantastic sales team. It, Bill Zachary was our general manager, and it was owned by Carl Venters. And he really did it up. I mean, he brought in Lee Abrams to turn everything around and start this format, format album rock there and it just took off it, it says that uh one of the, one of the quotes that you've always said uh i saw this on bbb is that you raised by wolves but ended up purring instead of howling i was curious to see kind of what where that came from and what what exactly that means it came from nowhere okay. i mean it they just said write a bio, and I said I was raised uh, by okay, wolves. Okay, and uh, you know it just sort of stuck. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, were there any influences beyond um, kind of like your mentor Bob, and and you know like was you just kind of th threw yourself into it, right? Started out had a slot twelve to six, and that's really. That was just complete natural. I was just winging it. I was doing what I knew best, and that was talking and sharing stories about music. Right. So that was easy for me. And a lot of the other DJs, he would send to voice coaches, but he never sent me to a voice coach because wow. he wanted me to be completely natural. And so that's what I did, I, except... If you hear me back in the day, I was like, hey, man, what's going on? You know, I'm kidding. Is he feeling good? You know, it was like, <laughs> it was like I was total stoned, you know. It sounded like that. Yeah. Maybe I was. I don't know. Some, I'm sure I was. It was back in the day. But, you know, I, I developed my own signature sound just by doing it a lot over and over again, like anything else. And I think what drew me to it. And I think why I had success was that I really cared about the listener. And I talked to everyone like it was just them in the room. And so it was just one person I was talking to. I still do that. And I tell everyone that I train that put a picture up of someone you really like that you care about and just talk to them. Because you don't want to talk about to a group of people. You right. want everyone to think they're talking to you. And I, I feel like that. I feel such a connection with the listener. So, yeah, I, they trained me how to do the board. And, of course, eventually you learn some rules, although we didn't have a whole lot back then. And uh, that was, it was easy. It was just, I felt like that was what I was meant to do. And I slid into it. I was very lucky. I think, but as far as influences go, Alison Steele, N.E.W., The Nightbird, she was what we all um, envisioned ourselves to be if you were in the radio world. Mm -hmm. And she 
had such style and such an art at night, you know, she, she just took you to other places. She, she transported you with the music. And so she was really my um, idol as far as radio personalities go. I, I have never found another woman that had more influence than she did on me. So, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, your passion for jazz and blues, um, where where did that come from? Was it just taste of music or because I thought that's pre- I, I think that's pretty interesting. I mean, I'm multi genre uh, as a as a player and a, and a lover of music. And I'm just curious to see how that happened for you. my parents. OK, yeah, my mom and dad love to listen to jazz and Billie Holiday and, uh, you know, Miles Davis. And they had quite a collection. So my love of jazz came from them and blues as well somewhat but I always had a deep affinity towards it Mm -hmm. and it jazz has made me not only feel depth in music but again if you have music that takes you someplace and that sort of fills your soul that's what that's what jazz does to me. And then you walk over into another room and then rock will rip you apart, yeah, you know, in the yeah. same glorious way or blues or really anything. I loved all types of music and I just felt like there was a time and a place for everything and that it could all gel together, which is why eventually my Sunday jazz brunch turned into jazz, blues and everything eclectic. Because I could play Amos Lee into Miles Davis, or I could even find, you know, there's so much blues and early stones and, you know, I could play that or Pink Floyd with jazz and then go into a a very soft cut, maybe something like Tuck and Patty, You Take My Breath Away. I don't know if you've ever heard that song, but it was so beautiful. And, And what was great about it was you had all kinds of listeners then. You know, I had my rockers and then I had new listeners because people in this area come from all over and they're very educated and mm-hmm. they want something new and they appreciate challenges. And I think challenges to your brain with music uh, really triggers people somehow. Because I think it does challenge your brain, it challenges your heart. You know how it is when you play. It's the same thing. And when I am able to play that music and impact people, that's just the best job you can ever have. Besides maybe playing it yourself, which I never did. I never could. I always thought I could sing, wanted to sing. Everyone said, Kitty, you know, you have the best voice. Why don't you sing? Oh, my God. You know, it's like the wedding crashers. I have the worst <laughs> voice. I cannot, like, I, I know a good voice when I hear it, but there's no way. I, I used to mime songs, like Christmas songs and birthday. I would just have to pretend like I was singing because it wow. was just terrific. Still is. It's a kin and curse, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> um well while we're while we're still kind of on the blues uh jazz uh idea here, I've got so you've you've interviewed like John McLaughlin, Herbie Hancock 
buddy guy, Steve Ray Vaughn. Like, what what was that like? It was, you know, such legends. Yeah. Well, back in the day, like I said, when my old boss, Bob Brown, would fly me to different places to mm. interview people. Um, I remember one impactful concert VSOP tour, and it was with Herbie Hancock and um, Ron Carter on bass, Tony Williams, wow. uh, Wayne Shorter, and Freddie Hubbard. And so I was able to go in there, and I was just, I was a novice, but I was just so curious, and they all, I think, just felt bad for me because I was new and didn't really know what I was talking about, but I did when it came to the music and how it made me feel. And so they were all very gracious. They were so gracious. And, and then, you know, there's so many different uh, artists that I've interviewed. Stevie Ray Vaughan had always been my favorite. And we took a whole group of listeners, which we did a lot at the time. When I worked with RDU, we would take them on trips. You know, like I'd take them to the Chicago Blues Festival. Wow. And so one time we took them to the Newport Jazz Festival and Stevie Ray Vaughan was playing. And I had set up an interview with him and he was not yet sober at the time. Yeah. And so I was backstage getting ready to interview him and he was really... Not, not doing well, he yeah. Was, he was really a little crispy, yeah. funny, crispy, but couldn't stay focused. And it was really difficult to even have a conversation with him. But I remember so vividly that he put his legendary hat on my head. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I could I could so walk away with this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it was just a momentous occasion to sit there with yeah. that hat on your head if you're a big Seabury Vaughn fan. But, of course, I didn't. So I didn't get to interview him, per se. And um, it was sad. I met him. And uh, then he went on stage, and it was like he was – perfectly fine that's what i've heard about him yeah yeah it's amazing how i mean that's that's just such a gift to be able to be in a state like that and be able to play at that at that level right and i was so looking forward to to interviewing him in depth as far as his influences and so forth um jeff beck i interviewed it was short but he was one of my favorites you know i was yeah when I first started listening to music, it was a British invasion and and then the Yardbirds. And there were so many influences in my life. I couldn't begin to list them all. Sure. But um, he, to me, was able to, um, I, I think he's one of the best guitar players I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. know how you feel about Jeff Beck. Oh, yeah. A lot of people yeah, have absolutely. different views. But uh, Well, that- you have to know what, where, where his corner is. And I mean, as far as the guitar improvisational world uh, and and the sounds that he's able to get out of it, they're just unbelievable, you know? Yeah. I think one time someone asked me, what's the saddest song you've ever heard? And one of the most just tearful songs and emotional songs was Because We've Ended as Lovers. And that solo, that song just absolutely tore me up. And I, I feel I'll like... i have to listen to that. I don't know if I've ever heard that before. Oh, my gosh. You have to listen to okay. it. Okay. Yeah. And Is it just instrumental? Or? Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow. And 
it's just, it's um, insanely beautiful. It's like, I, it's the same kind of emotion you'd get by listening to Bonnie Raitt singing, um, uh, oh, what was this song, Guilty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't know, I just, uh, I found that whole album, Blow by Blow, one of, one of the cornerstones of my musical influences and how I wanted to use that on the air. Because to me, when you hear a song and you're on the air, there's the art of the segue, which to us back then was the most important thing we did yeah. when we were on vinyl right? Yeah. Is to just be able to get that perfect segue. There's just nothing like it. I mean, I remember Bob the Blade and I would sit around and he would say, oh my God, Brunchy. He'd call me Brunchy. What did you do? And I'd do the same thing with him because if you're in radio, you hear it or a musician, that segue is something you work towards. And then all of a sudden it's just perfection. Of course, now you can't really do that because you don't have control of the music in the industry for the most part because it's all computerized and the music just, just comes up and it's you know formatted. And it's got to require so. some sort of practice, right? If you're if at the time it was turntables or yeah, did you guys ever use cassettes, CDs at one point or was oh it? yeah, okay. we definitely used CDs. Okay. We started out in vinyl and then did, did CDs, but it, it worked the same way with CDs pretty much. I mean, we well, got to queue it up. Yeah. There needs to be context for why you're playing it, right? What right. you just heard. Mm-hmm. And then tying that all in with the, the engineer or the producer, if you're producing it, working the board. I mean, it's, you know, it, that's an art form. It is. Like, it's one song. It becomes one right. long song. Right. Um, I did, at one time when I did this Sunday Jazz Brunch, initially did it, I was also doing a show called soft sides which was a lead-in to the brunch and it was during the days of um you know Wyndham Hill and so we would play all of those uh George Winston and all that soft sort of jazzy music you know um and so I'd play one side every uh, 30 minutes. It was about every 30 minutes. And it was like, oh my gosh, you couldn't do that again. But it was like, if you're trying to get out of bed, you know, you're slowly getting out of bed and yeah. there you go. Yeah. So uh, let's get into kind of your stories. Cause I'm sure you have a lot of great stories and uh, I've got here that you've, you've actually seen the doors. Yes. Which is incredible. Well, there's a couple of stories about the doors. One being that when I was on KZL, I had just started and I was doing a special on the doors. Wow. And because it was Jimmy Morrison's birthday. So I did this whole special, spent so much time on it. And I was playing it when all of a sudden we had breaking news that John Lennon was shot. Wow. And so I had to completely stop the doors and do nothing but Lennon. And I was a newbie. I didn't really know what I was doing. And people would come in the station, bring records. We'd chat. It was, I wish I still had that on tape. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. And 
it's it's just what you do when you're live on the air and you're able to be spontaneous. That's what radio is all about, but also to pay tribute in that moment with music, music and stories. So yeah, that Jimmy Morrison door is always one of my favorites. And I, as we talked about him from Miami and he's uh, from, yeah, he's from Miami. Right? No, I, I was from Miami. So I snuck out one time and went to coconut Grove when the doors were playing. And that was that occasion when Jimmy Morrison dropped trow and got arrested. And I was in the back thinking, what's going on over there? <laughs> you know, you could kind of get a glimpse, but then it got so wild that I hopped on home. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Well, Jim Jim was from Florida originally, I think. And he um he I talked to him briefly one time. It was a phone interview, but it was very quick for his birthday. And I wanted to talk to him so bad, but he had a terrible cold mm. to me more, which was weird. And he still called just to say thank you for doing this birthday special and I appreciate it. And you know, it was just like a little drop. So I had that moment with Jimmy Morrison, which was kind of cool. Even wow. though he sounded like a frog, but yeah, at yeah. the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, your first concert w- uh, was back, correct? Well, or yeah, was it-, it was with Jeff Beck and Rod Stewart. Wow. And they were playing a little club, and that that is one of the reasons I was so drawn to Jeff Beck because I saw him in the early days and I was also fascinated by Rod Stewart. And I thought the combination of those two was just, was remarkable. And it just tore me up. You know, I, my bones were cracking when I saw that. And so I knew that that's, that was going to be the music that I would go for. And then I also, around that time I saw Kiss and that, that just, I was, frightened I was like because it was very close and I just couldn't get over the tongue at the time I mean (laughs) I didn't like to think I was naive but I it sort of shocked me a little bit right right I don't think I was ready for it I like to think like I was so cool and such a rocker but I just was taken aback Yeah, yeah so but that I mean that wasn't my thing you know Kiss wasn't my thing I mean they put on a good show but it was nothing that moved me, moved me out quickly, <laughs> moved me out of the arena pretty quickly. But uh, yeah, I've seen so many amazing shows. I mean, I ended up going to, um, I went to Atlanta um, in 69 with some older friends for the Atlanta Pop Festival. And everyone was there. I mean, I'm talking about Jimi Hendrix. I was going to say Hendrix, Who, I think, was and there Joplin for that. Yeah. And everyone. But I was in the back, and I was young, and I didn't get to see a lot of the music. It was so hot, too. They brought in fire trucks and hosed people down, which I was loving. I thought that was great. But at the time... Um, I didn't realize the impact of all of these artists at one time because honestly, I didn't know they were all playing then. I just didn't know that much about it at the wow. time. Wow. And gosh, when I think I was right there. But uh, yeah. Could I've you had, imagine? It's like that's pop music. That was pop music, you know, how many years ago? And well, it's a totally different story now. Oh, yeah. Not disparaging against what pop is now. 
but it's it's just amazing to me that Hendrix was considered pop. Well, it wasn't really a pop, you know. Um, it's what they called it, but it didn't have one single thing to do with pop. Okay. At the time. What was pop then? Was it Motown or was pop it? Pop was more top 40 then. Okay. You know, whatever they played in the hits. And it, it could have been Motown, which I was really into. I was really into funk. George Clinton and the um, Parliament Funkadelic. Right. And I remember right. taking Lucas. My son had the luxury of going to so many shows with me. I couldn't really leave him at home, as I mentioned with his dad. So he went with me everywhere and backstage and... I remember one time George Clinton was playing and Lucas loved it. And he, I left him with a friend of mine on that stage. There was a bunch of different stages. I can't remember what the show was. And Lucas had so many stories to tell about George Clinton meeting him and chatting him up. And I don't know, Lucas maybe was six or seven. I'm not sure. And whether or not he smoked that blunt that Lucas said he was offered, I don't know. But you know what I mean? It was that during that time that it was crazy. And my son, I'm real grateful that he had all of those experiences with music because, I mean, he he is so knowledgeable now and he's turning it around with his own young kids now. And wow. he's always had such an eclectic um, view of music because he's been around it. In middle school, he'd be listening to Metallica and then Tony Bennett. So there you go. Sort of like... Diverse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to get your opinion on the future of traditional radio and kind of how things have changed, you know, um, with the streaming era um what are your thoughts uh you know as as honest as you want to get you know the sky's the limit with that because i know that a lot of djs have had some of their some of their thoughts on that um which aren't too positive but i'd love to just kind of hear right. you know where, where well you since i am on the air right now i can't be too negative yeah, about that's true the state of commercial radio um it's it's changed enormously, as we all know, mm-hmm. along with streaming. And it was 1996 when they changed everything around. And, um, you know, companies could own an unlimited number of radio stations. And that changed the whole landscape. Yeah. Because, you know, we'd be in the same building with six different competing stations. And then they had control of it, so there was no real, um, you know, it, it was like you had no cornerstone for yourself there. It was all kind of enmeshed, like, we need to tweak this a little bit so they're not affecting this station of ours over here. So we couldn't compete properly. Gotcha. And Gotcha. And it really changed, and then the conglomerates came and started buying up all the radio stations, so the small ones and the diverse stations, the black-owned businesses, they were all sort of left in the dust at the time. And um, it it was a shame because it was all controlled, and it was corporate control. Mm. And it's the way life is, so... You have to accept it. If you're an artist, if you're a musician, if you're in radio, it's uh, it's kind of heartbreaking 
but it's reality. You have to be able to adapt. It's reality. And then streaming services came in. So, of course, you know, people get what they hadn't been able to get then in radio. They could listen to anything they wanted to. Radio, thankfully, has stayed, um, still stayed its path, I believe, because of the local input. When you have local input, I believe people still appreciate it. And I think that's what keeps them coming back. I mean, you could have all of those same songs that we play without our input. And I believe that's what keeps radio shining right now. The future, it's hard to say. Um, There is... With the streaming services, there's a lot of algorithms. There are with, you know, how that works. It's, it's frightening when you think about that side, that side of it and how that will affect radio in general. Well, it's affecting everything, really. Yeah. AI. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I can't really go into the future of radio because, for me, I, um, I love my job. I'm still working there. Is it totally different? Yes, it is totally different. But I have the ability to to be on almost any format except country because I don't know country too well. <laughs> <laughs> I know a couple of artists, even though QDR, the country station now, is in our same building, mm-hmm. right? Country's and, gone very like. There's a lot going on in that genre in the last 10, 15 years. There's this like rock country thing. Yeah. Now there's this rap country thing, bro country. Like it's it's just there's a lot going on there. Yeah, and I probably couldn't do a hip hop station, although my son is trying to school me and always has. Like yeah. once he got to be at a certain point of um, his musical knowledge, we would trade uh you know, trade tunes. In fact, we did something called Kitty and the Kid every Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. And he didn't know what I was going to play and I didn't know what he was going to play. And again, this was when we could do almost anything in radio. And this was on my Sunday brunch. And so I would play a song, like I would play that Tuck and Patty, Take Mm -hmm. My Breath Away, which was my song for him when he was born. And then he would, in turn, play Maggot Brain by... (laughs) You know, by Funkadelic, by Parliament Funkadelic, which was a cool, it's a really cool ass song. If you've never heard that, check it out. It's an instrumental. I'll check it out. And I'm like, oh, Lucas, that's so sweet. Thanks so much for playing Maggot Brain for your mama. (laughs) And um, yeah, so um, yeah, it's just all over the place, all over the place. Well, one of the things you have coming up that you've talked, I don't know how much we can get into it, but... Uh, you're starting to get into the podcast circle yourself. Well, on my Sunday brunch, for over 20 years, I've been doing a chef series because I was married to a chef. Culinary, always, yeah. Yeah, I always found it fascinating. And, so, and we have some of the finest chefs, and we are so rich in culinary world here in the Triangle, and so many people want to move here because it's ideal for chefs and it's it's um I, even though so many restaurants have closed which is so heartbreaking there are more and more opening up again mm-hmm. and that's 
you know, that's just so encouraging. But I think when you're having food, when you're eating, and I love to cook, so I always combine the two, food and music. I yeah. always have. I always yeah. have like a playlist when I have people over and for that's dinner. Great. And I can... I can conjure up a song when I'm eating a certain meal. So I thought, why not incorporate that into my chef series? So I started Sound Palette, which was basically my Sunday brunch, where I played a little bit of everything, my chef series. And then I would have the chef pair a signature dish with a piece of music. And they all love that because chefs are always into music. They're so knowledgeable. And there's been some interesting tunes that they've come up with. And then it just turned into, okay, let's have that bartender pair a cocktail with a piece of music. So it's expanded. And I thought I should do a podcast sound palette just with the chefs. But there's a lot to consider. I have it ready to go. I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet, the first of the year, because I have some, I'm thinking more about the branding. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about how to incorporate younger people into it. So if anybody has ideas in that regard, let me know. I'll let Jason know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you know how podcasts go. They evolve. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love doing food and anything culinary so that's great yeah yeah i'm excited for it we'll see we'll see and well while we're on it uh the the topic of culinary food you know um bad kitty blend oh let's take a second to talk about this i i haven't had a chance to try this yet uh but I'm looking forward to it. We may we may brew a little bit before you leave. We'll yeah, see that'd we be time. great. Well, over 10 years ago, at least, maybe 15 years ago, I got up with Larry's Coffee when I was working for the River, because mm-hmm. I have worked at a lot of radio 7. stations. I remember you. Yeah, so um, I spent several hours sipping, slurping, <laughs> spitting, whatever you do to kind of figure out you know what you want and we came up with this and it's dark and it's rich and it's wow. uh, it's um, mysteriously complex <laughs> <laughs> i mean he put that down there but it That's is great. dark it's delicious coffee but the most important thing is a portion of the proceeds goes to foundation of hope the mm. angus bar- barn to help fight mental illness That's so we've great. raised a lot of money with that coffee and you can order it online and uh, find it at Taylor's and lots of different places, Whole Foods. A friend of mine told me once that um, dark coffee typically has less caffeine and lighter coffee actually has more. Is that true at all? You'll have to talk to Larry about okay. that. all right. That's out of my wheelhouse. I drink it and it gives me a kick. So uh, okay, I, I bet. <laughs> well, it's, it's, if it's a bad kitty blend, it's gotta it's gotta have a little bit of edge to it for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to cover if if you can conjure something up uh, with with your Rolodex of memory, the the best on air experience that you've had, or maybe you know there's a few that come to mind, and then the worst, just oh, gosh. like just you know something that went totally awry. Maybe it's hilarious, you know, it's just just something. Well, I back in the day. When I was at KZL and we were in the basement, 
And I told you I used to smoke a lot of cigarettes. So I would sometimes go out. I would call the pizza guy and order pizza if I was out of cigarettes. And I'd say, and would you mind bringing a pack of cigarettes? And then he eventually would say, do you really want the pizza or should I just bring the cigarettes? Like, <laughs> just bring the cigarettes. <laughs> so, um, but I went outside to meet him and I locked myself out. Oh, no. Yeah. And it was close to midnight. And, uh, and we were playing records, so it was just going, so thankfully I managed to get the janitor's attention. I was just lucky that he was walking by and I was just banging on the door. That's horrible. That's great. One of the more meaningful encounters I had on the air, it's really not about musicians. It's just about a listener. Mm. When you're doing nights, again, a lot of people, um, are troubled and they used to listen to radio. They consider you their friends and we want them to, you know, they feel like they know you. We talk about ourselves and so forth. So this one woman called me late one night and said, would I play free bird? And I'm like, Oh my God, really? (laughs) Can't you come up with something else? And, uh, I, I said, well, I'll see what I can do. Which is our normal response. Right, right, but right. We usually did try to play requests for people. And I said, and she said, oh, you've just got to play it. And she was just kind of sobbing. I'm like, well, this must mean a lot to you. And she's like, yeah, it, it does, because it might be the last song I ever hear in my life. And I want that to be it. And I'm like, well, Whoa. what are you talking about? You know, and it turned out we had this whole conversation where she said, yeah, she didn't want to live anymore. She was in a terrible situation and that was going to be it. So I, sh- I needed to play it. And I kept talking to her more and more because I honestly, in my gut felt this was serious. And I said, well, is anybody with you? No. And and then I figured out where she lived only because we were talking about other things. And I said, well, are you by yourself? Are you in a house? Are you in an apartment? She's mentioned. And this is on the air. No. Oh, okay. I was talking to her while I was on the air. It gotcha. was a request. Gotcha. And I um, got the name of the apartment complex and I played Free Bird and... And I worried so much. I called the police and I told them that this woman sounded very distressed and could they go try to figure out, you know, where she was. And I got her name and they found her and she had slit her wrists and she was okay. They got her in time. Oh my God. And about 10 years later, I received this letter from a woman who said, "Uh, you probably don't know who I am, but you saved my life back in the day. And so that to me is probably the more meaningful encounter I've ever had while being on the air. And that's why I take people seriously when they call. You get a lot of crazies, especially back then. Yeah. But it's like anything else. Someone's acting rude. You never know what's going on with them at the time. So you've got to give them the benefit of the doubt, right? So people like that connection. And they, again, some people are lonely. It it happens much more at night than it does in the middle of the day. I don't get those calls anymore really much, but I did back then a lot and a lot of letters from prison. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's hmm. some story. It, It was, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. And I wish I still had the letter, but I don't moved around too much, but yeah. Wow. 
hard to come back after that. No, one. yeah. Well, I'm just looking at you know we we pretty much hit a lot of things here. I where I worked and all yeah, the a lot of topics. Um, let's talk about gear real quick. I, gear. Let's let's not talk about gear. Why do we want to talk about gear? I'm a voice. I just talk on the. I don't, we don't want to talk about gear. You sure? Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. All right. Well, we'll go to the shootout then. Oh, the shootout. No. What's the shootout? It's just basically, um, <laughs> I'll say a word that's related to the guest and you just fire a word back. There's no right or wrong answers. Okay. All right. So, uh, radio. Microphone. See, there's some gear. I know. I was getting that in there for you. <laughs> Interview. Uh, sting. You interviewed Sting? Mm-hmm. Wow. You want to elaborate on that a little bit? or? Um, we can. That, that's incredible. Yeah. Well, it was backstage, and I had a recorder. Again, all my interviews that I yeah, had, yeah. when I left RDU, they didn't give me any of those, so I had they're all lost, which was so sad. Because he talked mostly about forming the police because that was when I first heard them and he gave a lot of kudos to um Stuart Copeland yeah Stuart Copeland yeah huge influence of mine yeah and he he actually was such a romantic talking about his wife Trudy and his family and his love of the countryside and it was more a lifestyle interview than it was music it turned out just him talking about you know where he felt most comfortable and at home and that's why he he would always have guests from around the world because every time he he said every time he stepped into another state another country there was so many powerful musicians of genres that he'd never heard before his goal was incorporate as many of those as he could into his music, which, you know, he clearly yeah. had done. Paul yeah. Simon was the same way. I talked to him one time. But, um, yeah, Sting, I say that because I had the major crushies on him. So when you said interview, yeah, Sting. What, um, was that right when the police were kind of breaking out? or Right when he was doing his solo. Okay, okay. Yeah, so, he was okay, doing his so solo. I guess like... 80, late 80s then somewhere around there yeah he did a private media show in atlanta at the box wow and it was right after that that i had a chance to talk to him that's so cool yeah uh rock rock radio <laughs> i could say an artist but i really rock radio is it yeah yeah blues um john lee hooker Oh, yeah. Jazz. Miles. Yeah. Yeah. Pop. Um. <laughs> I hear a little bit on BBB. That's why, oh, that's yeah. why I threw play, it in there. Because um, yeah, it's uh, very, very variety. How about Justin Timberlake? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me, I think Timberlake and, and Bruno Mars are... I love Bruno Mars. Justin Timberlake is so multi-talented. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's not, it, there's there's organic nature to, to what they do, you know. Um, what do I have here? Oh, Miami. Coconut Grove. 
Uh, My favorite place. Raleigh. Um, Raleigh. My home. And last but not least, pizza. Coronado. I don't even know what that is. Teddy Diggs Coronado Pizza. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. I want to. I want to ask you a question that I ask pretty much everybody on the. I ask everybody this at the end, which is if you could go back in time to your 15 year old self, knowing what you know now, what would you tell her? I would tell her. To never take anything for granted. That life is too short to live your life. I, I did live my life, I think, pretty much to its fullest. But back then I was hesitant and I did take a lot for granted. And I think that's really important for everyone to learn because you're given so much now. So much. When you're 15, you know, you just can't expect it all. You can't be entitled. You need to. Yeah really work at it and look at other people and appreciate what you have. That's awesome. It sounds like, you know, when I look at your story, it, it really, there's kind of like a, let me, let me ask you actually one other question. Um, spiritually, where, where are you at on that spectrum? Do you, where, cause it feels like there's definitely some sort of spontaneity in your life, some guiding hand that's really kind of, whether you were aware of it or not, I'm, I'm just curious, though, to see kind of what your thoughts are with that. That's interesting you said that because I consider myself a spiritual person. I um, have some Cherokee in my blood. And when I moved to Colorado um, and lived in the mountains, that was part of what I wanted to discover when I said I wanted to find myself. I wanted to find my Indian roots. Yeah. So I lived in a teepee with the Indians. Wow. For three months with Cherokees, and I learned how to read fires and did peyote rites. And read fires? Yeah. Wow. And it was, it was, it was life-changing for me then. I always felt like I didn't have one religion at that time. Being a hippie, I explored a lot of different things. I'd be dancing around with bells on my ankles, Hare Krishnas and, you know, eagle feather in my hair. And I always felt um, a higher power, but not conventional religion didn't move me quite as bit, mm -hmm. quite as much. And so I'm, I'm a religious, I'm a spiritual person. And I believe that I take from a little bit from different places, you know, right, right. like um, Buddhism and certainly the Indian way of life had the most influence on me. Um, I think the older I get, the more I find myself um, craving more spirituality, like try to focus on it more because it's important and you let so much junk and there's so much clutter out there in the world that no matter what religion you believe in, you need to hone, hone it in, you know? And so I, it's funny you said that because I don't talk about it a lot, but I do feel very spiritual in many ways. I couldn't tell you it's any one thing, but it's important to me.
Yeah, it just um, it, it. I don't know. I just sensed that for some reason. I hmm. thought I'd ask about it. So. That's interesting. You're psychic, Jason, on top of all your other talents. I'm just a guy behind a microphone right now. <laughs> or but, a guitar. Yeah, We yeah. love that, too. Uh, where can folks... Uh, you're well-known, especially in this area. Where can folks find you, though, if they want to follow a Facebook page or an Instagram? What What are some of your handles, uh, the, the names of those? And then we'll also put it in the description box. Okay, yeah. I haven't below. been using Instagram much. I've tried to... St- stay off of social some, but it hasn't worked very well. Yeah. I'm still on Facebook and it's Kitty Kinnon. It's not a public page, which I probably will do when I get my podcast out there, but it's just Kitty Kinnon. It's a public okay. page. K-I-N-N-I-N. Of course, you'll have that on there. Of course, and, yeah. And um, Twitter. I just try not to use it as much as I used to. Sure. But it's sure. all Kitty Kinnon. Everything's Kitty Kinnon. I have no handle. <laughs> Per se. One uh, one cooking tip or one or two cooking tips for uh, anybody out there. What What is your recommendation as far as the culinary arts at home? You know, how, oh, to, wow. how, to, how to spruce it up when you're just kind of doing the... Are we talking holidays? Uh, what, what, okay. Whatever, your, whatever tickles your fancy when it comes to... Make your own stock. To me, that is the key to life in the kitchen. Wow. Really. I mean. So get in there. Really? Well, yeah. Just it makes a world of difference no matter what you're doing. If you're using chicken stock, I mean, just make a big pot of it. Put the herbs in there, you know, water a big old chicken and let it cook (laughs) all day long until it gets dark and rich. Same with turkey because that's the only way I'll do turkey gravy. That's, That's my one tip. Make your own stock. So don't cut any corners. That's basically. Well, there's a lot of corners you can cut. Like I use Wonder Flour, which is brilliant. I would say everyone needs to use Wonder Flour. It sounds crazy. But um, so I use that to thicken the gravy. So that's a shortcut instead of doing a whole roux. But um, yeah, the flavor is amazing. This Thanksgiving, you know, it's, it's all in our house. That is the thing everybody wants my gravy and i make i make a pot of it just about yeah was that helpful it was yeah 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 you can let me know and i'll tell you exactly how i make my stock (laughs) (laughs) just get in touch with me and of course they can email me as well it's kkinnon at curtismedia.com i was going to give my personal email but yeah it's probably not good i'm not going to do that so yeah might have some of those 12 to 6 folks (laughs) still trying to hunt you down you know (laughs) this has been awesome uh thank you jason thank you and uh for anybody else who uh is you know listening just just tuning in uh, we've been we've been here with Kitty Kennan on the Jason Amico show. Be sure to follow her um, her social media listed below, or if you're listening, uh, you know, just Google the name. You'll be able to find her, and we will see you all on the next episode. Peace. Ciao.